Hello, please let me see your ticket stubs for the Double Edge Double Bill, where you get two film and or media discussions for the price of one. <sighs> Which is nothing. Each week, Adam Thomas and Thomas Mayorani will come to the table to randomly select the yin and yang of a double feature. One will have two good movies, the other two bad ones. Both will have to pick a number between 1 and 10 in order to seal their fates for each episode. Let the chaos begin. I am Adam the Shape, which is round, Thomas. And I am Dr. Samuel Tumas Mariani. Oh, God. And uh, with us for this intro is our guest from our previous episode. He's this pale, emotionless face with the blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. Casey Gerard. Casey, how are you? I'm still here. They've kept me here for a whole week. I've been trapped underground. I haven't seen sunlight or my family. Yes, you are trapped in an asylum, much like a Mr. Michael Myers and uh, the topic for this week's episode is the Halloween series. We've done slasher franchises before. We did Friday the 13th uh, mm-hmm. for any horror fans out there. We did that uh, as one of our earlier episodes. You know, we talked about in that episode Adam, this isn't the best franchise, is it? Not not at all. I put this right above Hellraiser, not Hellraiser, right above Hellraiser as the worst horror franchise. Which is to say, of course, not to blemish the original Halloween. Which is obviously a no. great movie. Yeah. God, it, no. I mean, the original Halloween is a fucking classic, a trendsetter. I mean, it, did it start the slasher genre? No, I'd give that more to like maybe a Black Christmas or something like that. But Halloween made it what it is today. Without Halloween, I don't know that there would be the Friday the 13th or the Nightmare on Elm Street. I really don't. And it gave us John Carpenter. Yes, of course. It's, it's still a great one that still chills. Uh, Casey, are you a fan at all of the Halloween franchise? I am of the first one. And I think the second one, even though there, it does have its audience, is really overrated. The third one, I respect more than I like. I haven't seen any of the others except the Rob Zombie remake, and it is one of my least favorite remakes. Obviously, the reason we're doing this now, because Halloween, the 40 years later, Jamie Lee Curtis coming back, uh, directed by David Gordon Green, written by Danny McBride, movie is coming Which out is this insane. week. I know, that's why I'm deadly curious, because I'm just like, yeah. I have no idea what they're going to do, but that sounds interesting, at least to me. Which is something that, like, Michael Myers is hard to make interesting, unfortunately. Because obviously, the whole appeal is that he's the shape, he's evil incarnate, he's really someone you can kind of place, you know, general fears of, like, Someone in your neighborhood who you don't know is going to kill you. Mysterious figure in the darkness that pops out. You know, just he's very minimal of a character. Less so than a Freddy or a Jason or any of those other ones. For those of you who don't know, this is your first episode. Each week, Adam and I pick uh, two movies just based on the general topic. We don't know what the other has picked. And both of us have either good or bad. This week, Adam has the two good movies. I have the two bad. Generally based around the Halloween franchise, we've assigned numbers to each of our movies. And usually we would pick from each other's movies, and whichever number closest, you know, that we say, 
for our two movies would be the one that we pick for the good and the bad feature. But when we have a guest like Casey, he is the one that pulls out the gun and shoots us six times! He shoots us <laughs> six times! So, Casey, go ahead. Well, if that's the case, I'm going to pick the number six for both of them. Oh. Oh, that's interesting. That'll, okay, so that'll, for the good movies, Adam. First time. Uh, at number seven, I had Halloween 7 H2O. I don't hate it. I think it's got a bad rep. I think there's a lot of good in it. There's a lot of bad. But again, this is like picking peanuts out of a turd. Well, this is uh-huh. going to be the first time we genuinely really disagree about something. That'll be fun. What was your other choice, Adam? Uh, Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Okay. Yeah. As well. I think that's a fun movie. I don't like it, but the reasons I don't like it have nothing to do with the fact that Michael Myers isn't in it. Well, that's fair. It is very divisive to the point where... Funnily enough, um, at number five, I had Halloween 3 Season of the Witch. Oh, well, all right. This is going to be a great episode for me. (laughs) Which is one that I actually do genuinely like, but I think is very divisive amongst the community. 100%. And and plus, I had this in my back pocket in case you fucking did H2O, and I'm glad I did, you son of a bitch. I also had at number 10, the Rob Zombie Halloween 2. Oh, man, I was going to throw that in my good just to fuck with you. And I hate that movie. I kind of want to see that one just out of morbid curiosity. We'll get into all of this discussion when we debate our two movies right after this. That I love. (laughs) He has pursued her relentlessly. He has hunted her everywhere. Now, 20 years later, the face of good and the face of evil will meet one last time. Jamie Lee Curtis. Halloween. 20 years later. And we have returned for our double feature. And I think I see a guest at the top of the stairs. No! No! It's Tori Davina, returning guest. Tori, how are you? Doing great. I don't know if I ever left, though. <laughs> He's always been here. <laughs> You've always been the caretaker, sir. I mean, I was locked in a dark, tight space before you said my name, so I'm out and about. So it's it's, it's good. It's good to be back. You finally escaped the asylum and have yeah. come here. The night Tori returned to the show. There you go. Uh, I think also... the spirit was a good movie. I think you're the only one who talked about it. <laughs> we, no, we had a lot to say. Either way, it was pretty bad. Uh, but that's on our noir episode, which Tori was previously on. And Tori, yeah, you're one of the few uh, returning hosts. Uh, you were up there with the uh, Sam Bertuxen in the Two Timers Club. The cool, cheap club. Yeah, there's a thing of peanuts and one beer you share amongst yourselves. We're yep. very cheap here. <laughs> anyway, when I introduced like the topics for you to cover along with the noir episode uh the halloween series episode jumped out at you and you decided to do that why uh, i like the, the halloween series for, i mean for what it's worth uh, i love the first two um i kind of have a sweet spot for the third one just because at least it you know it tried um thankfully never saw four five and six and um i feel i feel grateful to myself uh seeing h2o resurrection um and of course the <laughs> glorious Rob Zombie remakes. It's a little slasher film that I've always considered to be higher on the 
I guess, artistic scale compared to like, you know, a Jason, you know, something like that. For some reason, even if when I find a positive in, in this film franchise, it's just it just never quite captures the magic that the first two did. Mm-hmm. Are you excited for the upcoming one? I'm very, very ecstatic for it. I like the fact that it's got glowing reviews so far. It's definitely got me excited, and I'm definitely going to see it. So we should talk about our first feature is Halloween H2O. And you mentioned a bit of the franchise history, but we should go into that. One, because I kind of mentioned this obliquely in our intro, that I did rewatch and watch for the first time all of the previous Halloween films prior to (laughs) our upcoming. Um, And obviously... Halloween came out in 1978, very low-budget movie, made an infamously huge amount of money, and sparked the big slasher craze that would happen in the 80s, and as a result, Halloween sort of became a victim of the success it sort of created for that genre, really. Because Halloween 2, while I do agree I like Halloween 2, it definitely feels like, okay, we gotta amp up the gore and the kills because Friday the 13th's come out, and the kids all love that shit. So we gotta do something more in that vein versus the kind of suspenseful, less bloody, atmospheric stuff in the first one. Then Halloween 3 did something different. We'll put a pin in that. We'll talk about that in a bit. (laughs) Then they took a pretty big break and then did Halloween 4. Came out in 1988. And this franchise just has such a fetish for the 10 years anniversaries for everything. Because 88 was obviously the 10 year anniversary of Halloween. And then you had H2O 20 years later. As literally the title fucking says. And kind of with the Rob Zombie movie came out in 2007, but it was like close enough to like the 30 year anniversary. And now Halloween 40, basically, we have coming out now with uh, Jamie Lee Curtis. And Adam, I think you and I can agree with uh, the four through six. Running out of ideas, not really sure what to do with some of those. Uh, Yeah, I'd argue four had some good ideas to it. Like they, Mm -hmm. they tried. No, 4 Five. is very watchable. 4 I hadn't actually yeah. seen until Let's this watch. 4 is watchable. 4 yes. is a decent slasher sequel. Mm-hmm. 5 is just all over the place. I love how they took such a big break between 3 and 4, and then 5 literally came out, came out like, like 9, nine months, months later. later. Yeah, yeah, 9 <laughs> months later. And wow. then part <laughs> 6 is just awful. Yeah, and for those of you who don't know, that is the one that um, has Paul Rudd in his feature film debut. There's is like like a representation of like an Aztec god or whatever the hell. Yeah, because he introduced the Thorn Cult stuff. So you're telling me that Paul Rudd and Donald Pleasance shared the the silver screen together? Well, that was that was Donald Pleasance's last film, and Paul Rudd's first. He handed the baton basically. I actually do remember that I did see four because um, I remember the uh, the ending with the. It's like his niece, right, or something, and she's like yes. carrying the bloody scissors and shit. Yeah, I remember seeing that one now because I remember the little girl in it. So I have seen well, that. One. Totally abandoned that in the next. Yeah. One. Oh, they did put her in like a like a like a halfway house, and she was mute for some reason. Well, and they insinuated that she attacked her stepmother. But yeah, by six, that was going through all sorts of huge turmoil <laughs> and crazy. trouble. And also, it was one of the early examples of the Weinsteins uh, getting a hold of that franchise and kind of destroying it, like it destroyed the lives of many people. But we won't yeah. go into that too The much. Weinsteins getting their hands on anything is bad news. Yep, really is. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. 
the important thing happened the year after The Curse of Michael Myers came out, which was Scream came out. And that completely revitalized the horror genre, which was kind of dwindling and dying in the early 90s. And as a result, we got Kevin Williamson, who wrote that Scream movie, produced H2O and did some rewrite stuff. And basically turned the Halloween franchise into more of like a meta-contextual, like, look, it's 20 years later. And we got Jamie Lee Curtis back after Halloween 2. It had been, obviously, so long since we had her as Laurie Strode in the franchise. And... Yeah. It's a movie. See? Yeah. (laughs) Alright. I'm just gonna go on record and say I think out of all the original ones, not including the zombie ones, because I don't even throw those in, but if I gotta put it in the saga of Michael Myers, I would almost go one H2O, then two. Now, H2O has some problems, but, man, it's still... Jamie Lee Curtis turning into quite a good performance and Michael Myers being sort of scary again and playing tricks and, you know, knocking on windows and stuff like that. Like he did in the first one, you didn't get any of that after the first one. When it comes to like H2O's um, shortcomings, I kind of forgive it just off the simple fact that the pacing is really good. You know, nothing really drags in this movie. Thankfully, they never really put much focus, like, on the kid in the movie and his teenaged angst and his, you know, you're sheltering me, mom, like, nonsensical crap that I was just, like, rolling my eyes at. And But although I was like, yeah, he's a teenager. That's how it is. He looks like he's 40 when he's 17. Man, I was thinking, like, I was looking up a recent picture of Hartnett, and he looks like Matthew McConaughey when he's older in True Detective. And she's like, he looks younger there than in this movie. And was, <laughs> he does. Until the part where he's in the kitchen with his oversized buttoned-up shirt or whatever. He he looks almost like uh, DiCaprio in a suit in, in uh, Shutter Island. He just, <laughs> you know, like, that's the only time he looks like, like he's oh, he's a kid. Adult. Yeah. Yeah, he's, yeah playing, he's playing he's adult. Playing exactly. I'm wearing daddy's clothes. These are my right, big boy kids. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like the the, the I was going to say the awkwardness of LL Cool J's um, uh, erotic novels to his, his wife girlfriend. I don't know. Uh, it, it's just funny because like within a week span, me and my girlfriend watched that and Deep Blue Sea. So we got to experience uh, uh, LL Cool J mania in the late 90s. Thank God they didn't have him make any music for this that I refuse to. I don't want to know of. Don't tell don't me if that happened. Did. You know, deepest blue is his head is like a shark fin. Y- yeah, I know that. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like like I said, like it goes by like relatively like the speed of the film is great. Like I mean, the, the intro gets you hooked in when you got you know what happens with Go- Joseph Gordon-Levitt and random '90s looking white teenager and strangely Leia looking old nurse. It, it, it just leads you right in and you know you kind of just oh you know this is this is the best out of them this isn't a turd so you know by default <laughs> it's it gets the bronze medal but, but it's like i don't know it's like I just, at the end of the day it's still kind of i don't want to say empty but it's just it's there so you know it's it's important in the franchise i just don't think you know it, it's the number three but look what it was compared to i think my thing is with halloween h2o which i groused a lot about in the intro and upon this watch I think it's fine. It's just my my biggest problem with it really is it's a great climax with a 70-minute mediocre slasher movie before it. 
I think that's the thing, is that... It the, is a pretty good climax. That's, yeah, I'll give you that. I love the fact that it seems like this new Halloween movie is basically taking that climax and making it more of the movie. Because in the initial part of this movie, I agree, Jamie Lee Curtis is doing a fine job at being essentially just like, you know, Laurie Strode trying to keep herself together, and she's kind of drunk, and she's got these issues with her son, who she clashes with as a teenager. Uh, but at the same time, I am way more for Laurie Strode, the motherfuckers, Michael's here, I've dealt with him, you're not gonna fuck with this guy, he's gonna fuck with you. Attitude that's in that climax, that whole thing, I, I love the fact that apparently that's, she's gone into full, like, survival mode in the new David Gordon Green movie. That is a tremendous idea. It seems really like they're just kind of taking that potential and squeezing out all the stuff where, you guys are talking about, like, it, it doesn't feel that long or anything like that. I, I felt certain scenes dragged on forever, like, any of the scenes that involve Hartnett, and Michelle Williams, who, this is an early movie for her, and their two friends, when they're on their own, I wasn't that engaged in. I don't think it's a badly directed movie. We should talk about the fact that mm -hmm. Steve Miner directed this, who previously directed the second and third Friday the 13th films back in yeah. the early uh -huh. 80s. Yes, and I think he does a competent job at sort of doing, like, the sort of dark atmospheric stuff. I like there's a really great sort of one shot, almost, where it goes through uh, Jamie Lee Curtis's office, and it almost feels like a spooky haunted house, almost like it's the Tales from the Crypt intro kind of thing. It, it's not a badly directed movie. Um, I just do often feel like it, it's trying to appease sort of every audience. It's got a lot of the sort of, um, you know, Kevin Williamson-style lines about, like, oh, you know, like, slasher killer meta-contextual reference stuff. Even in the opening where you have the nurse, who was, of course, in the original two Halloween films playing the nurse. Um, it's the same character. Yeah. Yes, um, her whole thing about, like, God damn it, as she gets, like, sliced, shit like that, it feels like less scream and more, I know what you did last summer. It feels like an also-rand of those kind of moves that came out post-scream. It feels so much more like that in a way that I think ages the movie so much more than it does even some of these other earlier sequels that we're talking about, which are worse movies in many cases, but at the very least take weirder risks that make them more memorable. Exactly. I would say even the intro, uh, you just nailed it with I Know What You Did Last Summer. Like, just, you know, the scene when you see Joseph Gordon-Levin and it turns to him with the, you know, blade in his face. Like, <laughs> I feel like... Which it, I like... don't know that that's possible. That thing would have to be super, super sharp. Probably. <laughs> That's that the way it was. It looked it. It looked like it belonged in that comedy horror film Idle Hands. Like honestly, like yeah. the way that I was seeing some of these people die. <laughs> well, it also does one of my least favorite tropes in any slasher movie, where you have her open the door and the boy's body is standing there for some reason and then falls over when she's there. I hate that. Whenever they do that slasher movie, where it's yeah, just like. I, I guess Michael propped it up where he was holding it because he comes right from behind. Like, I, I want to see the shot over there of Michael Myers just like, and I'm holding him, and I'm holding him, and she's opening the door. Quickly close the door. And also, the one thing I hate about that too is it was so corny. Like, I, at the beginning, after the initial, you know, murder happens and you have the two detectives played by Bo Billingsley, who's a great voice actor, by the way. He, he, he does that thing where he's like walking around the house doing his like detective schmuckers and boondock saints routine almost where he's like, hmm, this almost mirrors what happened years ago, blah, 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 blah. And then he's got his, his stupid, uh, poor piss attempt at comedic foil and whoever the hell Matt Winston is where he's like, hmm, Michael Myers. We, we should yeah, mention Matt, Matt Winston, son of Stan Winston. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yep. <laughs> That's who the fuck hey, he is. But also, he looks uh, kind of like Clark Gregg's stunt double. Yeah. <laughs> just look at him in a suit. He pretty much looks like that, too. But yeah, he's... It, it's definitely just there. It's like, hmm, we should establish the fact that it's been 20 years, and also that apparently Loomis was in her care for all this time until he passed away. Because, obviously, this is the first Halloween film without Donald Pleasance in it. Plus, died before 6 was even finished. Right, yes, he did. To the point where when they had to reshoot stuff for 6, he wasn't available because he had died. Right. You do admittedly kind of miss Loomis's presence, because even when those other movies were really terrible, it was always fun seeing him do stuff. Like, I was quoting earlier <laughs> at the start of uh, our discussion here, the bit from the end of Halloween 4, where it's like, No! No! Like, him hamming it up was <laughs> oh, a real was bright spot. And so, especially, mm-hmm. I love in that scene in Halloween 4, he is about to shoot little Daniel Harris. Like, he's pulling out the gun to shoot that girl. <laughs> Don't you kind of wish he would have? Like, honestly. That, that would have been a pretty dope way to end that movie, honestly. Yeah, that would have like, been such a dark ending. Like, yep. Like, this fucking movie. <laughs> <laughs> Instant <laughs> Women, three-star movie. I do want to bring up something about H2O, yeah. though. Originally, there was a scene that was in this to where... She acknowledges four and five. Like, she did have a daughter. Mm-hmm. And she was killed and blah, blah, blah. Like, they acknowledge all of that. I'm really, really glad they didn't do that. But let's be honest. The Halloween franchise has so many restarts now. Mm-hmm. That's why it's got one of the best villains of the slashers, but one of the worst series of the films. Because it just constantly is jumping all over the place. I did want to kind of bring this up, because obviously the selective sequel has become a bit more in popularity as of recent. Obviously, the new Halloween is doing that tact, where they're restarting everything, not even including two. So now Laurie's Jones is not related. Yes. Yes. So I did want to ask, do you like that idea in theory about, like, kind of ignoring continuity of previous sequels? Or would you prefer more franchises just kind of, like, try and include some of that continuity in there? Well, there's a fi- there's a way you can do it to where, I forget, it was one of the other sequels, excuse me, I can't think of the actual name of it, but where you can maybe reference certain tidbits that happened in the other ones without acknowledging that they actually happened. Like, more fan service sort of deals. Right. I think for something like that, that works a little more. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm glad that she's not his sister again. Yeah. Um, I'm, I definitely am more in the camp of, she just happened to drop keys off at his house when he was in it, and that's all it took. You know what I'm saying? No, no I completely agree, because what works about in the original movie is the fact that Michael Myers feels just like this presence. He represents mm-hmm. the idea that just, like, horrible things happen to people randomly. Uh, right. the, the cosmic universe will fuck you over at any second, even if you're a teenage girl just trying to enjoy your life. It's He's pure evil. He doesn't need a motive or a reason. Yes. But that's definitely what bogged down the franchise as a whole, to where they had to constantly tie in all these new characters. Well, that's that's Lori's daughter that you know nobody knows about. Oh, that that's her... Uh, that's, yeah, he's going after this kid because he's half-related to him. So, you know, it's just... It's ridiculous. To me, that was a huge misstep in the franchise, but that's kind of why I liked this one, because they were like, fuck it, let's wrap it up. But then obviously this one made money, so of course they're going to do another one. I wanted to ask Tori, what are your thoughts on the selective sequel continuity idea? Fucking blow it up, please. God, just just blow it up. I am with the idea of just burying 
even if you know some innocents get buried alive as well in the form of Halloween two and like I said maybe H two O. I don't see the problem with it. I, I mean, like, even, even I've not, not seeing five and six. I mean, seeing films like Resurrection or, <laughs> you know, even the, the zombie movies, even though they really have no continuity in the universe at all either. This we needed to hit the refresh on this. I, I agree that I don't mind necessarily if your franchise especially gets super messy like this one ultimately did. Like, how lame would it be if we have Michael Myers be part of the Thorn Cult thing and that stupid Man in Black? whatever the fucking bullshit was in 5 and 6 referencing here. I'm glad that they cut all that out. But ultimately, still, at the same time, the, like I said, this still feels very pedestrian in terms of being a slasher, and it just... Certain things also where it feels like they kind of want to have the coolness of, like I mentioned, the, you know, what you did last summer thing. But it, it feels so in contrast with how the original movie had very naturalistic characters... <laughs> But that's what I love about the original Halloween is you have, like, PJ Souls and Nancy Keys and Jamie Lee Curtis acting like real kids do, even if it's in the 70s, it still feels universal. Versus you get stuff, like, where the Adam Arkins character comes into Michelle Williams and What's-Your-Face's room, and it's like, are you going to do anything out? No, I'm going to go get my nipples pierced, shit like that. It just feels so forced and so underwhelming. And I fucking hate so nineties bullshit. Yeah, it feels so dated. Yeah, like it, it, it honestly, it honestly felt like they were just ripping off the fucking scene from the first Scream movie, where well, you know it's like you I know mean, that's what it was. It was basically that scene. So because those just, movies, like, like like Tom said, they were hitting hard and they were cleaning oh, yeah. up. So yeah. they were like, well, maybe we can adapt this formula and do another Halloween movie. Yeah, um, stuff with the kids, like honestly, it, like the thing it breezed by so fast. Honestly, I, I didn't yeah, really feel like the bother. teenagers were. Yeah, it didn't really bother me. Like, you know, I thought Josh Harnett and uh, Michelle Williams were cute together. But yeah, like the the other, um, I forgot who the other two were. My, my girlfriend, exactly. who, 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 <laughs> yep. my, the woman who gets like her leg, like really fucked up. And her distinctive trait is I eat. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's her trait. Yeah, that's true. And her boyfriend's like, I think it's sexy that you eat. Which because I'm a let's, fucking murder. Let's just call it right here. Those two would never be together. Probably nope. not. No. That weird ass like hobbit looking dude. <laughs> <laughs> and and their whole thing, but like, oh, we should have a roaming orgy party, and like, oh, it's, oh I love what this how this man thinks. It's like, oh, god. And also, like, I wouldn't really emphasize it, all the LL Cool J stuff is the most like cringy attempts at humor Horrible. that always fail. Like big. Round juicy melons. I, I gotta, I gotta hold the phone for a second. Which was cringier, this or Deep Blue Sea with the fucking Reverend bullshit? Because I thought Deep Blue Sea was ten times more cringier. Here's the thing: Deep Blue Sea, I feel, has a more consistent tone because I Deep agree. Blue Deep Blue Sea feels like it is more rampant. It's just like we are doing a high budget B movie. As opposed to this movie, kind of wants to have the moments where Jamie Lee Curtis is a bit more reserved and talks about, oh, my past, I can't talk about it. And then we have bad teen movie, and then we have bumbling, stupid security guard shit. It, it feels much more tonally all over but, the place than Deep Blue Sea is. And let's not also forget, Deep Blue Sea is a standalone one-shot. This is number seven in a series. No, no, this this is more. This is just predominantly the focus on LL Cool J oh, mania no, between oh, the two. Okay, this guy would have lost his fucking job so ex- fast. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, this is they, what like they even reference it. It's like the third time he's let him just leave, mm-hmm. go off campus, and he still hasn't gotten fired. And she's the dean, and as paranoid as she is about him, like he would have been gone already. 
I will give this film credit for not doing what other films try doing with Ola Cool J, where he does the licking his lips and stares at oh, the woman sexually. Re- he was totally doing that whenever he's no, like doing he his did. fucking he reading. He did about- that to Jamie Lee Curtis at the gate, which would have been a moment where they. No, he did it to a goddamn corded phone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He does it to like his I'm wife over the phone I'm, I'm, talking I'm about his melons. Myself, then I was, I was, I am wrong. I apologize. You were looking away just like he does when Michael Myers actually fucking shows up at the gate. Which is one of the stupidest scenes in any of these movies. Was he licking his lips at Michael Myers? That Shatner mask, though, which also is something to point out. With a CGI mask. Oh, my God. How many times this mask changes also bothers me. Every time. Like, it's constant, where it just switches back and forth. You know why, right? They contracted five different effects houses to make masks for the movie. Mm -hmm. In pre-production. Like, Stan Winston, Buechler, uh, Woodruff... You know, mm-hmm. all the big names are contracted to do a mask, and they delivered them all at the same time, and they just used them all, and they were all different. And to, except for the one scene with the CGI mask, because as he's walking in, and you know, then it cuts. The mask was so noticeably different that they tried to CGI the the mask that he had on onto the face, and it suddenly turns into a scanner, Michael Lee. Right, so it's six different masks if you count the CGI one in this movie. Well, but that's weird because there's literally the scene where he chases after Jamie Lee Curtis after she gets Josh Hartnett and Michelle Williams in the car, and the mask changes shot by shot. Like, in that one scene. It's constant. Just pick a fucking mask. Because if you look at the mask in part four and then the mask in part five, they are vastly different and both terrible, might I add. I, don't, I, would, I would argue five is noticeably worse. It looks like a mask that would be in the Halloween shop and they wouldn't get the rights to call it a Michael Myers mask, so it's yeah. like white-faced killer. Yeah. Oh, there's like no personality to it whatsoever. The Halloween what? five mask. No. no. No, dude, it's just a blank face with a yeah. mask. There's nothing. Which there's in no theory... There's no to it at all. <laughs> Not at all. Not at all. Oh. The mask in uh, Rob Zombie's Halloween was really good. Yes, it was a really good job of like sort of aging it up, uh, especially when he discovers it halfway through that first movie. And then by two, they're just like, <laughs> fuck the mask. We don't really yeah, care. We're going to be a hobo. We're just going to rely on Michael being physically imposed, which I honestly is another thing I give Zombie credit for, for making Michael just that physically imposing yeah, by getting Tyler Mann. And Mountain. They even get yeah. Tyler bigger than what he actually is. He was 6'8 and was a wrestler in Japan. I How know, much but bigger they did, like, you... force perspective shots to make him look even bigger and wider. That, that's true. There's that point where he turns over the car and it's just like, man, I love Lord of the Rings. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know what I'll say... say about this, Michael, though, is that I can't say physically imposing, but I think he makes up for it for doing all of the original calls, in the, like in the original movies, where it's more about the tricks and once he's in front of you, he just – he seems like he's just incredibly agile with his knife. Except that really fucking stupid part that kind of ruins it when Michael's chasing Michelle Williams and Josh Hartnett and they get past that part where the gate's locked. And just the mm-hmm. way that he's swinging the knife is just like the – it's not that he's waving it from side. He's, he's trying to like curve it and then shit and it just looks like really cheesy at that point. I, mean, I don't mind shitty. smaller Michael Myers. Yeah, me neither. Yeah, because especially, like, uh, Nick Castle in the original movie playing Michael Myers was only, like, 5'11". Yeah, 5'11", yeah. and, like, barely 200 pounds. Yeah, I, I think that makes it more interesting that he's... I do, too. Just more of, like, he is completely average build man, but he can do all this shit, versus him being hulking Tyler Mayne. Yeah, and I don't think the, um, the guy who we have here inside of the Michael Myers costume... 
Um, I don't think he's necessarily bad. I just think this movie, especially watching it, realize how limited Michael Myers is just as a serial killer. Because, you know, a big thing about Friday the 13th we all love is the, the diversity of the kills that Jason does every time. Jason is truly an artiste with the way that he kills victims. Versus Michael has the same, like, five fucking tricks he usually does. Like, he even does the Halloween 2 stabbing the person in the spine and then, like, bringing him up. Shit like that. Not a lot of creativity or diversity to him as a serial killer, ultimately. Right. The thing is, now, when I was a kid and I saw, you know, Nightmare, Friday, all the original slashers, the only one that actually scared me was Michael Myers because how methodical he was and everything. And then they just turned him into a superhero. He's impaling people with shotguns and shit like that. I think that's why I liked this one so much is because they did go back to that route. I mean, when he's flipping the tables trying to find her and stuff, like, he's not a super Superman in this movie at all. He is a normal dude. That's why I liked it. And then in 8, they kind of abandoned it, but then, like, they didn't because Busta Rhymes kung fu'd him. So it's like, I mean... <laughs> I, I have, I have trick a or treat, motherfucker! Yeah, trick or treat, motherfucker! Like, I have, if, I, if, I, oh, man. I mean, Buster Rhymes could kung fu me, but I'm not a superhero. But I think, the re- like I said, the reason I appreciate this one so much because they did try to get back to where he's stalking and playing his tricks and things like that. Now, the shit with the kids, I can, you know, doesn't really bother me because that's just the formula at that point. But I didn't find any of the kids except the, you know, Charlie or whatever the hell his name was. He's the only one I found annoying out of all of them. Usually there's like two or three of them. In part five, they all were. I don't know, man. I, I think this movie maybe gets some unfair hate, especially from my uh, my co-host here. Well, I'll, I'll give a bit more love to... We should talk about that the climax a bit more, because I think the Absolutely. climax is really where the movie hits a certain height. Um, after Jamie Lee Curtis, it, within the span of a minute, does the exact same fucking callback, where she says, do as I say now, and then later repeats the whole thing she said to the kids in the first movie, and also ends it with, do as I say now, which is another thing. It's just like, if you're gonna call it back, do it fucking once, dicks. Anyway, then that leads into the actual showdown between her and Michael Myers, which is the reason to watch the movie. It is a really fun, like you mentioned, it's not too over-the-top. The most over-the-top thing Michael kind of does in the whole movie is the bit where he comes down, like, from the bar that's in the hallway, which I honestly found kind of dope. That's the newest thing this movie brings, and I love that. The whole, like, him coming yeah, down from yeah, the bar. Yeah, where he's, like, holding a, like, cross-fitting, a constant... Like... <laughs> where he just comes down, and then him and Jamie fighting, it feels a bit more tactile, it's a bit more raw, and the fact that she shoves him onto that, you know, little precipice and goes down, and then he hits the table... And he, she wants to keep stabbing him, and Jay, and LL fucking cool. Jay has to be like, no. By the way, I'm alive, and no, don't do it. It's fine. You, didn't Adam Arkin shoot him earlier, and just in the head, and he survived it? I guess. Yeah, I, I, can, I can see why he plays the white supremacist and Sons of Anarchy. You son of a bitch. Oh, we didn't even talk about Adam Arkin and how awkward he is with Jamie Lee Curtis. I don't believe their relationship at all. In this no, I, nobody fucking should. I'm a good listener. She was just trying to change completely, so she hooked up with that vanilla dude. And then she became a vanilla-ass, like, alcoholic, typical white woman that most waiters fucking hate, like, in the scene. (laughs) You do not fuck with women's Chardonnay. But anyway, we were talking about the climax and how awesome that was. And LL Cool J gets her away, and then she sees that they're loading in the ambulance, and she's like, nope. I ain't fucking with this. I'm stealing that goddamn ambulance. And she becomes Loomis. 
And I think that's the approach to go with, because she fucking steals that ambulance, and she runs that fucker over, and then he's pinned to the tree, and he reaches out, and you're like, oh, brother-sister moment? No, it isn't! Fuck you! And the movie ends on that. One, one swipe. Perfect. And I, what further kind of shows me how wrongheaded this movie was, was that whole stupid explanation in Resurrection was baked into this premise, and they were gonna make that the actual ending, and fuck everything in the face. And Jamie Lee Curtis was like, fuck you, I'm not doing that. I'm gonna walk away from this movie if you do that shit. And rightly, she said, look, I'm not gonna do this unless you cut that out and just do it for, like, a sequel or some bullshit, and I'll do my cameo. And I think that Resurrection also just does such a disservice to that climax, too, and just deflates its huge, big, important bit. Just having her come back and Michael killing her off really quickly in that intro. Just the fact that it's this fucking intro. You know what? I think fairly H2O, a lot of my distaste from it comes from the fact that a lot of it is negated by resurrection. And that's the unfortunate thing about talking about H2O is that you can't talk about it without bringing up resurrection just because it fucks all of the goodwill up from that film. <laughs> so it's, it's like a man. Pretty much, Buster Rhymes makes the movie. I, honestly, I, I don't no, know. That's the thing. The, he's the most yeah. criticized thing about the movie, but at the very least, he's the most memorable new character because all yeah, the exactly. other people you don't give a single shit about. Yeah, you don't give a shit. It's it's just fun too because at least it decided to be like, oh hey, people were trying to do what people do all the fucking time now on like YouTube and shit. But you that's, know, that's the thing. I love that to... apparently Buster Rhymes invented Twitch in 2002. Yeah, that's but... what I'm about to say. In 2002, <laughs> he invented... Who the fuck is watching this shit on fucking DSL right now? That's the best part. It's in fucking... 50, 56K. Let's see Michael killing 56K, everybody. Uh, and there's that scene where one of the, the couples has sex in 56K on the live stream. We kind of said that 6 was the worst one. I would argue Resurrection is pure. Yes. Like, the worst uh, one. Uh, Just I, for the lies uh, and fucking promises uh, it makes. Buster Rhymes beating the shit out of Michael Myers is entertaining with Kung Fu. It's still yeah. not good. Yeah. Well, no, and, but I, I would say the, the more entertaining thing to me is when he's dressed as Michael Myers, and Michael Myers actually comes and he's like, what the fuck are you doing? I'm trying to do this, and if they see two people, it's gonna fuck everything up. Get the fuck out of here, and it works on Michael Myers. He just leaves. <laughs> he's like, I've never encountered angry black man before. What do I do? Yeah, I, I did want to ask at least uh, you two about the climax more. Do you guys agree that like the climax is just like a, a really great actual final showdown between these two? It makes the movie. Oh, yeah, 100%. I'm going to agree with you at this point that Resurrection's worse because Resurrection made all of that worthless. If not the, it's one of the best climaxes in the series, easily. Yeah, and it's where the meta stuff really works with her actually acknowledging, like, no motherfuckers, he's going to get up. Get the fuck out of my way. This motherfucker. Yep. So, yeah, let's go into our final thoughts then, I guess, on H2O. Tori. Like like I said before, it's, um, you know, well-paced, uh, you know, uh, a horror film, like, as far as its place in the series, it's the bronze by default, like I said. It still doesn't take away from the fact that that climax and just their battle at the end was, it, it was set up perfect. From the tables being flipped to her basically being like, fuck this shit, it's not over. I'm driving this fucking, am-. even the way that, like we said, this is like a 5'11 dude average build playing Michael Myers, but he had complete body control uh depending on what was being asked of him to do in the fucking scene and that's why i think he he might be an underrated michael myers right there maybe the most underrated it's just not in the same ballpark as either one or two for me it's got good things going for it's got things that are fucking stupid 
Um, but you know, it, it was still overall a, a fun ride. Adam. Yeah, I think this is a pretty decent movie. Um, I do have my problems with it, but I can overlook those for what's good in it. I think this was the first time we saw Michael Myers being Michael Myers since the first one. I like Jamie Lee Curtis a lot in it. Uh, I like Josh Hart and Michelle Williams enough. They're fun. LL Cool J is terrible. The other two kids I don't give a shit about. For me, it worked. Well, um, I'll say this. Upon this watch, which is interesting, I've watched this movie twice down the span of a month. I do think it's just fine. I would say I personally prefer like a Halloween 2 or even honestly Halloween 4 because for all the issues that a Halloween 4 might have, it still has, I think, more diverse range of interesting characters. I like, like say, Jamie Lloyd and the relationship she has with the older teenager and also Donald Pleasance being involved in the mix and just some of the weird shit they do. Like, hey, let's have a group of fucking militia hillbillies fucking trying to face off against Michael Myers and the decay of Haddonfield at that point. There's more ideas with that versus this. It's a completely serviceable slasher sequel, but I think ultimately it makes it more forgettable until that climax. Like I said, I think the climax does such a great job, but there's so much like lack of really caring with sort of the tonal mixture stuff or just small things that kind of piss me off. Like, Michelle Williams and What's-Her-Face are watching Scream 2, and if they had done a double feature with Scream 1, they'd be watching the scene where fucking Jamie Kennedy is watching Halloween. Guys, it's nitpicky, but also, come on! (laughs) Yeah, I get it. Losing those smaller details, I think it kind of shows the degradation of the Halloween franchise overall, because the small details are what makes, say, like, the original Halloween work and still last this long, versus this feels so much more of its time and in a way that makes it a curiosity, but not necessarily that great a movie. And also feels like it's kind of nudging you with some of the things it does. Like, hey, look, we're, we're referencing some of these other slash things. Like, look, there's Janet Lee. That's her mom. And here's yeah, the psycho the theme. Car. Yeah, yeah, and the psycho the theme car. is playing. Yeah. And we get it. This movie is a lot of we get it. But like I said, I can't take away the climax. And I'm still at the same time... Very curious to see this new one hopefully do a better job at some of the premises that this one kind of introduced into the franchise. But let's go for a complete left turn and do something that has very little to do with Halloween as a whole. The third entry, Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Yay! Saturday. And yes, uh, Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. So, uh, came out October 22nd, 1982. Was the technical third entry in this franchise, and obviously we mentioned briefly in our overall franchise uh, little timeline at the beginning of this episode that uh, Halloween 3 took a very different direction, which was Deborah Hill and John Carpenter, who obviously wrote the first film, said, alright, after 2, we don't really want to be involved. And then Mustafa Akkad, who produced all these movies until he passed away not too long before the remake came out it was just like oh come on you gotta come back and do something it's like all right we'll come back but we don't want michael anymore the shape is dead after halloween 2 he blew up we don't want to do any more stuff with that let's make halloween an anthology franchise which honestly if you're gonna do a series called halloween 
that feels way more like what you should have done in retrospect, hindsight being 2020. So they came up with this curious idea, uh, which to be fair, it wasn't just, say, it wasn't really John Carpenter and Deborah Hill. It was originally um, author Nigel Neal came up with this premise. And then Dino De Laurentiis, who was one of the producers, kind of added a lot more gore to it. And Nigel Neal kind of passed on it a bit more. Didn't really, kind of disowned what they kind of made it. But involving a doctor played by Tom Atkins, who is everyone's favorite beer-swilling, um, terrible dad of the 80s, who discovers this guy who comes in saying, oh, we're all doomed, they're all going to get killed. And a guy comes in, kills this person, and then proceeds to fucking burn himself to death in his car and it explodes. So this leads him on a trail along with the daughter of this patient um, to go on this journey to find the Silver Shamrock novelties in this weird abandoned town in California where, as it turns out, he makes these novelty masks that all of the kids are obsessing over. Huge marketing campaign and push for these masks. And uh, there's a sinister edge to why these masks are here. And shocker that people at the time who saw Halloween 3 were like, hey, where's Michael Myers? This is bullshit. Why are people wearing these other masks? We want the same thing we saw before. And then six years later, they got that, after this kind of didn't do the best compared to the other movies in earlier in the franchise. Uh, and it's kind of a shame, because this movie, if you remove the Halloween 3 name from it, it could stand perfectly on its own as a weird, obscure curiosity of horror from the early 80s. Absolutely. And I, I will honestly say, I think that they did kind of miss the mark and not make one of the masks the Michael Myers masks. I think that would have been a smart thing to do. Dude, this movie is just so batshit crazy and fun. <laughs> yep. Can we just acknowledge that the fact that Tom Atkins in the early to late 80s laid so much on-screen pipe, it's not even funny. That dude was getting laid constantly with women way out of his league. One of the few things I want to talk about I'm not a fan of in this movie. Was not a huge fan not at all. of that sub. Dude, this movie is so fucking fun. And Dan O'Hurley he is so good in this movie. He's as, very creepy. Just, as Connell Cochran. Oh, yeah, yes. dude. Yeah. He's so creepy. I, I, and then these crazy robots. I can't tell if it's orange <laughs> Gerber food or, like, marmalade that they stuff these bodies with. You know, they didn't really reference anything with Michael Myers. I would say they – I like the subtle way they had it of having Jamie Lee Curtis be the uh, the, the operating voice every time right. fucking Tom Atkins tries to call anybody <laughs> except his wife. <laughs> but um, – oh, <laughs> Poor Nancy Keys of the original Halloween being essentially just, like, the nagging ex-wife trope. But you keep calling her Nancy Keys. Wasn't her name Nancy Loomis? Her original name is Nancy Keys. Nancy Loomis is her stage name. Fucking Nancy Keys. Like, I watched this. My girl's like, mentioning is like, it's like fucking 7 p.m. Why is she still, like, fully dressed like she's about to go out with two kids at home wearing makeup? (laughs) (laughs) Fucking hoity-toity, naggy-ass, stereotype wife of the fucking 80s right there. I'm just like, man, can you? Were they still married? No, I don't think so. Because when I first saw this movie, a big point of contention I had for why I didn't like it initially, honestly, was I thought they were still married. But it's a blink and well, not necessarily blink. Like, turn your headphones off and you'll miss it. Moment where he says while she's on the phone, like he he puts the phone to his chest. He says, "My well, right." She says that, but he says to somebody else, "My ex-wife." He says that distinctly. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, And he's a drunk. 
I mean, oh. let's just call him. He's a horrible drunk. No, he's a horrible father. That's kind of what's yeah, interesting. Is This father. is your, your hero for this movie is a guy who clearly is a every other Saturday dad who comes around just like, hey, I got you your mask. It's like, oh no, mommy got us the mask that we want. Right. <laughs> and then he's drinks. Horrible, he's a horrible father. He's a drinker, a woman, yeah. tries to be a womanizer. I mean, but that's kind of the charm of the movie too, though piece of shit and he's the hero right and it feels also like the movie is kind of setting him up to pay off for his sins as things go along it's really a movie about like he is like hey i'm gonna go off and you know do detective work but i'm really gonna fuck this younger girl and then he does and then he gets so much recompense for that he is so fucked over by the end of this movie and i think it's kind of an interesting sort of ec comics style thing for his character. That's why Tom Atkins works. He feels kind of like an EC Comics protagonist where he does shitty things. He is at least kind of trying to resolve this mystery. He gets kind of swept up in it. So he kind of becomes more engaging as a sort of um, almost Raymond Chandler style detective um, as things go along where he's not very apt at doing this, but he kind of learns a bit more across as he's doing it. He almost becomes a much better person by the end of it, but it's too late because fuck you, dude. (laughs) You're an asshole. And everything's gonna crumble apart now. Always, every time I watched it, when I was a kid. It would, I'd always cut the part afterwards when you know the lady gets shot with the very well done eighties tastic ass laser to the fucking face. Yep. Um, <laughs> but you know, I always, oh, I never watched the movie past that. But um, watching it fully now, I was like, why does this feel less like Halloween and more like what would have been an episode of Garth Marenghi's Dark Place? Just for a <laughs> <laughs> It's just like, this guy is not a fucking doctor. (laughs) Like, this makes more sense if he's a detective. Why is he a doctor playing detective? That is stupid. But it's charming, so you just can't... It's a a boozy, synthy, little, charming, strange-ass horror film. And I I can't say that there's a moment where I'm actually, like, necessarily terrified or, like, you know, chilling or anything, but... It, you still can't take your eyes off. You're entertained the whole. You're movie. entertained exactly. Like it, it just grabs your attention and it does not let go. And it's, I, I, I kind of wish they made uh, another one of these, or at least continuing, at least doing it in this style. Because Whoa. I mean, granted, now it's a one of a kind, but still, like the soundtrack's really good. The acting, for what it is, it just everything just kind of flows perfect. It's amazing that this film wasn't bigger than than what it was when it came out. Especially in, like, what, 82 when this came out? Well, yes. that was the problem, though. Like, Tom Sardi alluded to. They called it Halloween without explaining, for the most part, this is not a Michael Myers movie. That the advertising sucked. Well, well I... the problem, they did Halloween 1 and then Halloween 2 with Michael Myers. If they exactly. had just done Halloween with Michael Myers and then Halloween 2, a completely different story, Halloween 3, a completely different story, it would have worked. I agree, yeah, and we would have lost Halloween too, but that's not a lot to lose in comparison yeah, to... That's not much to lose, to be to, honest. In, in comparison to the crazy creative ideas we could have gotten, I think the best way to describe this movie is it feels kind of like after a night of drinking just enough beer, you have a really weird nightmare, and you try and kind of piece it together, and you realize this doesn't make a lot of sense, but I remember vivid, horrific imagery from it. Like, that's that's what this feels like. It yeah. feels like a weird nightmare, that well, like kind Tommy of going Lee through. Wallace and Carpenter were sitting around drinking beers with notebooks and just scribbled down a bunch of ideas, and then in the morning you're like, what the fuck does that even say? Oh, well, let's shoot it. 
Right, which we should talk about. This is directed and written by Tommy Lee Wallace, who was the production designer on the original Halloween, the guy who found that William Shatner mask and painted it white um, for the original film. Uh, and it's uh, it's his first film as a director. He directed a few other things after this. But uh, how do we feel about his direction here? Does it feel sort of spooky and atmospheric? I, I, I don't think anything's so much spooky or atmospheric. I mean, this I wouldn't even call this movie spooky or atmospheric. It, it's... It, his directing style works for it because there's no other movie like this. This is the first time a movie like this has ever been done by a first and a first time director. Yes. It feels like the story and the director are sort of finding themselves through the movie. I mean, I would say what works about it is the fact that because it's a first time filmmaker, there are just moments that feel like they're just shot so matter of factly that that's sort of the terror of it. Like, one of the best scenes in, I think, any horror movie of this era, honestly, is the test subject scene. Where we see this annoying family who we've been introduced oh, to prior, that fucking kid. Yes, who like oh. they're all just like horribly like the worst representation of like a middle America family possible. Who like the dad is uh, self obsessed lout. The mom literally, I, she has one of my favorite lines in the movie where she someone asks like, "Hey, what do you think the final processes are?" She's like, "Oh, don't ask me. I don't know." <laughs> like just uh-huh. so aloof and not giving a shit. And this kid who's a spoiled little brat. And then they all go into this test subject room, and he does the whole thing. Put on your masks. The Silver Shamrock theme, which we'll definitely be talking about more. Oh, yeah. And this kid proceeds to watch this seizure-inducing blinking light show go on while he's wearing his mask, and grabs his head, turns into mush, and releases spiders and a snake that kills his fucking parents. Uh And I like the fact that it's shot so matter-of-factly in this very dull-looking titanium room that has some living room aesthetics to it and that's really the terror of it it's just how plain and simple it is just like this horrible weird fucking thing's happening and these this family's dead and that's what's gonna happen everywhere you know what that family reminded me of after watching it again david keckner's family in uh krampus yeah they reminded me a lot of one of the asshole parent-child groups you would see in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. And Dan O'Hillary basically feels like demented Willy Wonka who's just like, oh, I love a good joke. And that whole scene where he talks to Tom Atkins about, like, why'd you do it? Do I need a reason? Well, I guess there is a bit one. To play a joke on the children. And there's no better joke than this. That's love a that. good point, man. He's yeah. Willy Wonka at his age. <laughs> if he didn't He's give like, the candy factory to Charlie... This is the shit that'd be going on. Old, and I want to be evil. Stonehenge! <laughs> oh. Yeah, the, the, the whole Stonehenge thing is very odd. I'm not sure why we necessarily... Yeah, that's be... a little bit of a thrown-in for nothing. Yeah, it's it just a... Like, you won't believe how we got it here. No, we, we won't believe that. And you never tell us, thankfully. This film is so anti what you expect from this movie that at this point, this would be the part of the movie where it's like, we got this thing from the rock that... Excalibur was inside of. And they're like, no, no, no. We're gonna use Stonehenge instead, just just to fuck with you guys. We're just gonna make us. We're, we're gonna make a sacrifice circle and have these cheap ass lasers shoot out and kill all my marmalade filled androids. Just you know, yo, that um, shit's face that got fried was grotesque. Oh man, yes. <laughs> it, it's very effective as special effects work. Interestingly enough, I found out that actress at the time, was married to Tom Atkins. So it's funny that okay. the entire sequence we're talking about where her face gets fried is cut in between a scene of her husband having sex with a younger woman, and how funny they divorced like a couple years after this. 
Yeah, crazy. <laughs> crazy. Like your 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 crazy. wife is dying. Your wife is technically dying in the next room. I don't care. Face <laughs> and titties. <laughs> I I do love that bit. It was just like, uh, who? What's going on? Who cares? Yeah, that's a great delivery. Motor on <laughs> But it's still a bummer that. A lot of people, man, and I mean a lot, still won't give this movie the time of the day because Michael Myers isn't in it. And that is the only reason. It's a better Halloween movie without Michael Myers in it than you got three other movies with Michael Myers in it. It's a perfect, strange little horror film. What I like about it really is the fact that it it ties so much into sort of the uh, ritual of Halloween and sort of the over-commercialization of the holiday, even at this time, it feels also very prescient in that way, because it feels kind of like a prescient prediction of the wave of commercialism that would come throughout the 80s and still kind of spreads over to this day. It feels very ahead of its time in aspects like that, and also, like you said, there's a lot of autumn atmosphere that's going on with this movie. I would say that there are sort of spooky moments in this movie. Like There's a shot where it's like five of those robot guys in one row and they're coming toward the screen. I would say that's a pretty spooky moment. I would say um, there's a lot of the scenes that take place like around that gas station, even the opening sequence where he, the guy's being chased by those robots. Um, <laughs> they mainly get crushed with the cars, which is fun. You know, it's not the best made movie. It definitely feels like a first time filmmaker's movie, but at the same time, I agree. It's a unique beast that should be more appreciated for just the balls. It has to do stuff like that ending. That's one of the most amazing horror endings of all time. It's just like, hey, guess what? Um, we insinuated through this admittingly weird convoluted way that everybody, all these kids around all these different coasts are going to be watching TV at the same time and seeing this giveaway happen and will their heads will explode. And most likely, that fucking happened based on the ending. Speaking of like all the areas and stuff that they covered, whether it was like, oh, I think it was like Ohio, Louisiana, California, Seattle. I really did actually like how those scenes were shot. It's just kids driving around, or not driving around, like riding their bikes around, trick-or-treating. I can't remember which one it was, but it was like the last one where it's just like really, really dark and you just have that sort of odd, like basically what the poster is, how well shot that scene is in, in, in comparison to like what's actually what's on the poster. I actually kind of like that, sort of like that 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 gloomy like look that it had, just to sort of like, oh no, <laughs> all these kids <laughs> everywhere in this country, they're all going to melt and turn into snakes and bugs oh no <laughs> it's just like it's eerie like it's it's not even it's the thing about this film it's like it's not scary but it's eerie and it's strange and it just kind of like it just weirds you out in, in, in a way that i don't think any other film in this franchise does well and how they've just like become so enamored with this commercial product i love the subtlety well not subtlety really that's that's the wrong word because they jam in your face the silver shamrock oh, theme all the time but I would say the that sort of incessantness feels, like I said, like a very interesting sort of satiric element that still rings very true to just, like, marketing campaigns that, especially, like, when any of us were kids, it's very true. Like, they repeat shit ad nauseum, so kids immediately want these masks. They have the constant... Mm-hmm. The marketing department for Silver Shamrock is amazing. That's just how... Oh, yeah, they literally have top of their game. They have fucking tr- vans going by saying, don't forget about the giveaway, gather round kids come on go for the and that's Tommy Lee Wallace's voice as well and that's such an unsettling creepy commercial voice he's like it's time it's time he sounds like like an old um, horror movie host yes 
He sounds like a man who's calming you before they put the lifey go bye bye medicine into you. Relax. Everything will be you fine. Mean poison? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I got rat lifey go bye bye juice. <laughs> That's what we gotta call it from now on. <laughs> that that vocal work, that song is it's it, it's just it's so like eerie. It's just repetitive. And it even becomes its own, like, joke in the movie at what point where it's like, you know, after sex, happy, happy Halloween, Halloween. He's like, oh, my God, everywhere. And he just changes the fucking radio station. I literally think it starts off with what? It's like seven or eight. I think it starts off eight more days. Eight more days to Halloween, Halloween, Halloween. Eight more days to Halloween, Silver Shamrock. And you hear it for every day in the yep. movie it's a believable way that you could mass market two children at the same sure. time sure like 100%. I, I could easily see a child being obs- extremely obsessive about it and then 20 years later like oh remember the silver shamrock theme and when mm-hmm. all my friends died <laughs> it was great <laughs> <laughs> but like you said about the ending too i want i wanted to touch on that uh if i remember right he was able to shut down two out of three hey man two out of three ain't bad that's true. You saved at least hopefully two, even though I love the fact that the kid just mindlessly turns the knob to each station. That's just like a, a kid is going to watch this no matter what the sort of futility right, and nihilistic it. nature of it. Yeah. And of course, Tom Atkins' gorgeous delivery of just the stop it, stop it. Um, it it's one of the great sort of horror moments, especially like this early 80s uh-huh. period, for sure. I agree. The thing about this movie is, I, I like I was talking about earlier, people think of a time of day. I didn't really give it at the time of the day for a long time either because. I had an uncle who owned all of these movies on VHS, except for this one. And I never saw this one. And I asked him, you know, where's part three? Where's part three? He's like, well, part three wasn't Michael Myers, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, well, that's bullshit. So then finally, when I was able to see it, I'm like, I can't believe that they didn't go with this route. I would honestly, dude, I'm excited for the new Halloween. And I do like H2O, but I wish they would have stuck with the route where every Halloween you'd get a different horror movie just with the title Halloween. It feels very much ahead of its time in terms of this is something obviously now that like American Horror Story does with every season of a show versus I think doing it for a movie franchise. I can see why like some people might not get behind it initially. Um, maybe because anthology at that time was more like creep show. Speaking of Tom Atkins being something, um, right. it, it was more of just like various segments in one movie, and people would be able to get more behind that. Versus, yeah, I, I agree that I, I wish they kind of went that route, and especially just brought in more filmmakers. Like apparently they were originally going to have Joe Dante direct this, but he kind of mm-hmm. bailed after it got a bit more sort of over the top, gory and violent in the script um, at, that they kind of took from the original author. Uh, but that's yeah, not his thing, man. Not. As much now, nah. he's more about the goofiness. Um, but right. th- but yeah, it, and that sometimes does kind of contrast weirdly with this movie when it does get kind of gory. It feels more like if this was a bit more toned down, this could almost be like a Ray Bradbury story. Uh, this is a Twilight Zone episode, a hundred percent. Yeah, I just you know you almost wonder what could have been. But I think a lot of that has more to do with like Mustafa Akkad who was just so obsessed with, like, no, we have to continue the Michael Myers. Oh, gotta... he loved Michael Myers, dude. Yep, he did. It wasn't even as a producer, mm-hmm. you know, for a money reason. He loved the idea and the character. I mean, he did. He thoroughly was into it. I miss the Halloween annual movies. Like, not Halloween is in the franchise, but the last really good one was probably, what, like, Trick or Treat? 
I mean, there's been some since, and they have not been very good. But it's such a – I mean, there's so much potential there. You can do anything and base it around the holiday. Any monster, you know, stalker, serial killer, anything can be adapted into the season, and it's just untapped. Nobody even tries. We should, I agree, probably have more movies that just sort of create that sense of autumn, that sense of terror. That's what, you know, is a big asset of the original Halloween, is that along with being a great slasher movie, and despite being shot in California and doubling for fucking Illinois, which God help them, they couldn't quite do, because you see palm trees in a couple places. But (laughs) they did a very good job with that low of a budget to really create that sort of sense of everything's cooled down, the hotness of summer's over, and you're waiting for the chill of winter, but Halloween's that weird quasi-period, the fall-autumn season, where just anything can kind of creep up on you. I, I agree that we are kind of missing that in our modern, sort of franchise-obsessed culture, especially. We just have kind of forgotten about that, and to the point where Trick or Treat didn't even come out theatrically. They dumped it, because they're like, know, oh, what a bummer. We don't know what to do with it. And now, look at it now, it's a Halloween Horror Nights house. Yep. What holiday anymore has good movies for it? Christmas movies suck now. Yeah, I can't even remember, like, at this point. that Like, the movies that come out in, like, December now, they don't even really feel like they're even Christmas movies. They're anymore. not. They just, they're, no, they just feel like movies ground. you should just see on Christmas. And that goes back to, like, almost decades for me. Like, December to me was always the, the month where you would see films like, oh, hey, Lord Ali, of the Rings. Lord of the Rings, Ali, or yep. any of these, like, sort of pre-Oscar, very uh, showman-y kind of fucking movies. Yeah. The fall is might as well just be our like Christmas, really, more than the actual Christmas. Oh, the cider drinking, the the hot, like the you know, you go to like these farms, they'll be like apple picking farms, but then around Halloween time, they'll be like they'll make their own like farm kind of haunted park type of deal, and you know, you kind of want to get that feeling reflected in like a, a movie. But to get back to Halloween three, Halloween three does feel like a Halloween movie, like for the season. Right. I'd argue more so. Then four and five that take place during the holiday. That takes such a back seat to it. The only reason that takes place during the holidays is that he's able to steal another mask. If nothing else, like I know they would have never done this, but having Michael Myers have a different mask even would have like I agree. Kind of jumped things up. Like in five there's that part where he does wear like the weird gangster mask for yep. some reason. And that's like one of the better scenes in the movie because it's like, oh, this I is agree. a bit different versus what worked about the original movie is the fact that that mask was just something he fucking picked up at a department store. That's all that mattered. It's this faceless mask where he feels like, oh, I am human. And yeah. that was one of my favorite things about the Rob Zombie original where he wore the different paper mache masks and stuff until he went back and got his original mask. Right. He just had to cover his face. And, and I agree that I think Halloween 3 has a lot more of that atmosphere, especially. This is something that even Halloween 4 kind of took, was the sort of vacant emptiness of that town, where it does feel like it's a town where some big wig moved in and put their factory there and just sucked the life out of it. That feels like a town that is just, like, dead completely. It's like it's... great social commentary. I mean, to me, I got a little bit of that, and I just kind of got a little bit of, like... Eh, I mean, this could be, like, one of those beach towns. Like, this could literally be, like, a part of Cape Cod right now, like, during, like, the fall when all the fucking tourists leave for from, like, that are here for, like, the spring and the summer or whatever. Like, that, and then I kind of did have that feel where it was, like, it was weird how everything was just dead fucking empty, but, like, everyone at the Silver Shamrock Warehouse, they're 
corporate building was like, ooh, happy, happy, you know, look at this, he's a great boss, we love our jobs, please run. That's the best thing that they do, honestly, in this movie, flawlessly, is just to, they just express how just empty and depressed it was. Even the small encounter with the alcoholic bum in the beginning, where... You know, it's it's just it's a very short conversation, and it's just like where it, where it goes from there to him going to his you know fucking homeless hut. You know, it's like that's fucking sad. Like it actually has like a little bit of that sort of commentary on and getting his head happens. torn off in a pretty dope scene too. <laughs> very the gore in this movie feels very restrained. A lot of the deaths are implied, except for him. Like him, his is like the only one where it's like head ripped off, blood pouring out. What the fuck are these people? Are they robots? I, we don't know yet. Well, I love the fact that the, when the gore is utilized, they do acknowledge the weirdness of, like, when Tom Atkins punches into, it's Dick Warlock, who played Michael Myers in Halloween 2, punches into his gut, and then pulls out the orange, and he's like, the fuck is this? <laughs> and even does, like, they could have went over the top of many scenes, like, um, like the doctor that gets the drill bit to the ear. Even that could have been over the top, but they just, you know, they immediately do what kind of like a trope I see in like horror films that aren't really about showing all the gore, I guess. Mm-hmm. They just cut it off to past it and they just show the twitchy leg and shit like that. It is very basic in how it's shot, but it's still effective. It feels like a movie that like if Edward was competent would direct a film like this. Like, honestly, it kind of I can agree. Tropes. Yeah, I can yeah. agree that. Like a Charles Band movie. I, I can agree with that. It, it definitely, it, there's a low-budget charm to it. But yeah, I think we should start wrapping up a bit on Halloween sure. 3. So uh, let's, uh, Tori, go ahead and start your final thoughts on Halloween 3. Low-key out of this entire franchise, minus obviously like the first two, this is probably my favorite uh, movie of the franchise. Just for how original it is. How, how I just how strange it is. It doesn't really succeed at being a horror film that like necessarily scares you, but one that just like it it, it creeps you out a little. Bit. It creeps you out. It weirds you out. It doesn't like you know go really over the top slasher like the other ones did. It's doing what I honestly agree with Adam that this franchise probably should have fucking did, which was make these films based around Halloween instead of just this. Instead of this this shape, if you will, that's going around slashing and slaughtering everybody, you know, having more like original stories like this, the sort of remoteness, how everything felt when they're in this small town. I mean, you know, even if there's things that stop it, like, you know, some of the fan service, the awkward sex scenes, you know, maybe some of the acting, if you will, uh, all that stuff is just like you don't give a shit because, again, you're just you're entertained. This is like everything works about this film and it's it's still a, it is a crying fucking shame that this didn't blow up because of, you know, well, it being a Halloween movie and sharing it with Michael Myers. They just wanted to see Myers, which they got and it sucked and it sucks even more that films like this couldn't like continue. You know, like I said, it's a it's a great you know, I love the soundtrack, sort of like this, the 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 Moog in the background, like all the synths. It works perfectly. This film actually introduces characters without, you know, beating you over the head with the fucking sound like an H2O where every single time somebody was meeting somebody, it was the dun fucking sound effect. Everything just kind of left you thinking, wow, why didn't more stuff like this get fucking made? Like I said, I I love this film. Adam? You know, I ain't got much to say about it other than the fact that this movie is just fun. That was so crazy and just bizarre and weird and over the top. But, wow, I was entertained. I mean, that's what this movie is in a nutshell. Plus, you know, Tom Mackins. That's Dash, though. 
That fucking stash. That stash, though. Yes. Uh, well, yeah, I agree with pretty much a lot of what's being said here. Um, I would personally say, besides the first one, it's my second favorite of the franchise. I think because of the weird risks it takes, not just in not being about Michael Myers, but having a very odd storyline, some of the consumerism commentary it puts out there, having a very unlikable, in theory, protagonist, but having Tom Atkins play him just exudes at least the sort of bravado curiosity that makes you engaged in him. And, of course, also his weird, which we didn't talk about much, but my biggest issue is just the the relationship he has with our main female love interest is very creepy. It does definitely feel like this is a very weird like, I don't believe this at all relationship going on here, that she's so quick to jump on him. Very odd. Um, and she's also not maybe the best character, especially... What was with that fucking whole sequence where she doesn't die? Like, how many times do they do the fake-out, and it's almost like this is a comedy bit? I'm like, oh, oh my god, uh, Non-stop. <laughs> so, blame her for jumping on him. That stash, though. Do you think about it for a second? Like, those guys at Silver Shamrock were able to create something as intricate as a woman's vagina he fucked a robot like you think about it they they could have done so much more for the world but they had to they they just had this desire to see children's faces melt into bugs and snakes well it's a it's a practical joke that's what i kind of love about the daniel hillary character is it's all this horrible cruel macabre joke that's being played on tom atkins and the children of the world and that's such a almost as kind of predictive of our modern I did it for the lulls culture. Daniel Heller is the original troll of the internet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> for sure, yeah. I mean, it's, it's like I said earlier, it, it's such a very curious, nihilistic, but fascinating play on a lot of these sort of themes that are going on. It feels very prescient for its time, and also feels very much of its time in a more curious time capsule kind of way than, say, like an H2O. It feels more like it's both predictive and stays in its sort of weird place and moment. Um, and the masks are really iconic and cool, and yeah, it, it's definitely a very underrated gem that deserves so much more appreciation. But uh, that's the end of our overall discussion on the Yay! two movies. Uh, <laughs> before we go, we have some feedback to read. We asked all of you out there about your favorite Michael Myers and Halloween bits, and uh, Bill Gabriel says, Rudd rules with a clip that's probably the best clip of Halloween 6 where he's trying to beat down the door with the gas tank and Michael Myers shows yeah. up and Paul Rudd does his Paul Rudd face it's just like you would just do this later and like knocked up and other shit like that this is hilarious yeah, you're right yeah Paul Rudd hey actually yeah Tori remember Tommy Doyle uh, the little boy Jamie Lee Curtis was watching in Halloween 1 yes, yes. yeah that's Paul Rudd in part 6 and he really plays, <laughs> and he plays an obsessive creepy jerk who like has a telescope in his window looking at girls taking off their yeah. clothes and calls like a weird a... sexual deviant yeah yep and he <laughs> stalker get obsessed with michael myers it's, and, it's very weird that if he... any other actor played you'd been like you fucking creep but it's it's paul rudd and you're like mm. no no you're still like you fucking creep <laughs> no he's but... really fucking creepy in it. oh he's actually creepy like, like... he plays it creepy so yeah, like Mark I, well, Duplass and Creep Creepy? No, no, it's more just like he's doing a weird Hannibal Lecter impression. He talks like this the whole time, as if Michael Myers is here. <laughs> it's so funny. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's very it, bizarre. I, this is six, right? This is six. The six one? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Now I gotta fucking see it. <laughs> like, him and Donald Pleasance are the only reason to see that movie, honestly. Yes. Brian Kane says, I had my first watch of Halloween around five years ago. I thought it was okay, but I can't say I have much desire to go through the 
other entries in the franchise. I imagine many millennials would echo this opinion, seeing as we don't get traditional slashers anymore. We just get slashers disguised in more high-concept premises. Yeah, I think that's kind of alluding to our discussion from earlier, is that it feels definitely more like we kind of have to try and hide the traditional slasher in more, like, overbaked ideas. Some of them work better than others. I mean, yeah, I agree with that, but I still, you know, went back and watched the Universal Monsters movies and stuff, and let's face it, Freddy, Jason, Michael Myers, Leatherface, Pinhead, those are our generation, well, even before our generations, Universal Monsters. Mm -hmm. So I... You know, you got to go back and watch them and appreciate for what they've given you now. Doesn't mean you got to be a huge fan, but give it a shot. I'll say this: I always kind of thought Halloween was a bit overrated when I was originally watching it, but I think, especially when I saw it, it when I was younger, I did oh, ha- very right. much have that all opinion. Right. I think what really changed that was seeing it on a big screen last year. I saw it for the first time on a big screen. Oh wow, that'd be and- awesome. It's it's weird how it's such a small movie, but it creates such an immersive atmosphere, despite how being you know so low budget. And now that watch was the first time I really realized this movie takes place mostly between like two fucking houses on a street. Yeah, but you get hundred percent. But you get such a great geography of that entire street and both those houses, mm-hmm. and you get so immersed in what's going on there. It makes you really appreciate how Carpenter sort of created the slasher tropes, but really sort of refined them so perfectly on his first time in ways that very few movies I would have in, like, the decade after could recreate. And how fucking smart was he? I'll do it for this amount of money as long as I put my name in front of the title. Smartest thing he's ever done. I I would recommend, if you uh, haven't, there's a great podcast miniseries that Amy Nicholson, who's a critic I like following, did called uh, Halloween Unmasked. It's, uh, she's currently doing it. It's about eight episodes. They're at about the fourth episode. Just got released recently as we're recording. That is a tremendous podcast about just the history of Halloween and has interviews with like Carpenter and Nick Castle and Jamie Lee Curtis, a bunch of people. It's a tremendous documentary min- sort of miniseries podcast I would recommend to any horror fan. Tyler Thompson has this to say. He was great in Austin Powers. Crucify me. It was worth it. Wah, wah, Boo. Wah. Boo. <laughs> Fucker. Never send another letter. <laughs> <laughs> no, Tyler, you can send anything you want. Uh, don't worry about what Tori says. He's not gonna. He's not gonna be in the three P. I'm telling you right now. His uh-huh. performance tonight is barred. That. And then we got a lot of feedback about our last episode on children's horror. Um, Lisa Cole says, "Monster Squad, best ever." Wolfman's got nards. Of course, we didn't really talk about that line that much, but yeah, iconic line That's of that the, movie. I don't think you need to. If you're talking about Monster Squad, everybody knows that line. Tori, have you <laughs> seen it? No, I don't think I have. Oh man, you gotta see Monster Squad. Pretty, pretty dope. Am, do you have Prime? Uh, no, I don't have Prime. I'll let you use my Prime. Yes. <laughs> and then uh, we got a lot of feedback, Adam, um, about oh, our other <laughs> about our other feature, uh, Ernest Scared Stupid, uh, which includes Stan Chambo saying, "I love Ernest Scared Stupid," and Scott Crawford saying, "I just watched Ernest Scared Stupid last night. I love that movie." And Ryan Stevens saying, "Ernest Scared Stupid is a fucking gem, and actually has some genuinely spooky moments." I want to know what kind of hard drugs these guys are on. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I want to know. I, I have to say, Adam, uh, uh, we've agreed a lot tonight. You are fucking wrong on Ernest Scared Stupid. Whatever I your won't. negative opinion is. No, that's fine. <laughs> I resent my prime offer, you fuck. <laughs> <laughs> 
uh, you know, I think it's, it's serious to say, like, you know, we all have different opinions, and it's fine to have those. But I would just like to point out that mine was the most positive opinion when we were scared stupid. When no, we did it definitely sh- was. No, I feel that these are personal attacks against me. <laughs> um, and I'm sure actually, also no, Casey, Casey, who's not Casey. Yeah, Casey was not a fan either. So you know, no, these aren't against me. This is all Casey. Thanks, guys, for listening. Fuck Casey, right? Am I right, guys? Uh, we want to thank, by the way, Casey for doing the intro. Uh, we didn't get a chance to thank him because we were doing a rush do that intro Absolutely. before. But uh, thanks for participating in our intro and our last episode, Casey. Um, and we also want to thank Chris Oliver for the music used in our show. I'll listen to more of his music at chrisoliver.bandcamp.com. I want to add, Chris Oliver's got, uh, the guy who does the music on our show, he's got a new album coming out. So it's really good. It's worth a listen. Uh, I think it's free on Bandcamp. So go get, all he wants is a rating. So go check it out. Yes, and uh, we want to thank Emily Scarda, of course, as well, for our art, she accepts commissions at fiverrwith2rs.com slash eescarda, and uh, of course, we also want to thank Tori, our guest for coming on. Tori, what do you got to plug? Anything? Um, well, I, I, I guess, hey, if you want to follow me on Twitter for any time I post bullshit, um, you, Tori knows me, it's at TCVB91. I'll post music eventually when I do it again. <laughs> Other than that, I'll just be retweeting people you hate. You got to remix that. Silver Shamrock theme at some point, Tori. Just uh, right in time for the episode to come out. (laughs) Shit gonna be a hit. Do like a a Skrillex thing. He's relevant, right? (laughs) The kids love the Skrillex. (laughs) It's like Silver Shamrock. (laughs) 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 We also, of course, have our own Twitter account uh, at DEDBpod, and that's also our Facebook page. And on Mondays, we always post our little questionnaires about, um, hey, what's your favorite blank based on our topic for the upcoming episode? And we encourage you all to respond to that so we can read it just like we did for all of our friends up there earlier. And uh, we also have an email at uh, bill at gmail.com, all spelled out. Um, and we also have individual Twitter accounts. I am at not the who's Tommy. I'm pretty active on there. And Adam has a shape of a Twitter account called... Yeah, I don't even know why I even mention it anymore. It's uh, Malekithfan6969. I, That's I why. That's <laughs> the name. Well, no, no, I just, you know, yeah, I, I don't get the tweets. I don't get the tweeter, whatever you kids are doing nowadays. You, you kids on the tweeter. But you know what he yeah. does get is uh, subscribing to us on iTunes, which makes sure to do that and also rate and review us to give the show more visibility because we could definitely use that. Once they get the visibility, you know, it goes from the, you know, the, the Apple visibility, the podcast visibility to the Patreon. Oh yeah, no, and I'm buying a fucking yacht, and I'm out the Patreon, then the yacht. I'm a oh, millennial, so God, I'll settle so for a house. It's going to be solo in this shit. I'm out. I was watching all money. Clearly, yes, that's that's what we all really want. And um, yeah, I guess that's the end of the show. So we should probably stop it, Adam. Adam, please, please stop it. For God's sake, please stop it. There's no more time. The episode's over. Please stop it. Stop it now. Turn it off. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it! Stop it! <laughs>